You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Isn't it? I'm just so privileged to share this team, uh, the stage with our worship team. Are they not just wonderful? <laughs> Buenos dias. Good morning. Um, I get to hang out with a lot of young people, and they've taught me a third language. What's up, church? I'm so happy to be here with you today, and um, I know that Pastor Doug and Jeannie do so much for our church, and they so appreciate all the work and effort that you volunteer and you do, and so I've been asked to volunteer today, and when Pastor Doug calls and asks, you say yes. So I'm here um, because Pastor Doug and Humby have asked me to share a few thoughts with you today. As a church and members of tribes or ministries, um, we sometimes um, interact with each other and serve each other in this, uh, this idea of humility. It's a practice that often is one way, um, and it's a conversation I want to have today about a two-way relationship. Um, usually in our first time, our first step is to take a one-directional, which is called charity and serving the poor and clothing and praying. And although that's a great first start, today I want to explore these different ideas. Maybe some of you already have heard of this idea and practice, and this may be new for some of you, or like me, are always trying and mess up and keep trying. Um, and so I hope that some of these resonate with you today. But before I, I go into talk about humility and cultural humility, I want to share where I learned humility. And so I learned it from this guy um, and this couple, gentleman by the name of Homer. Um, he lived in Nueva Rosita, Coahuila, Mexico. <laughs> and he was a milkman. He was a lechero. And he worked in this small little town called Nueva Rosita, Coahuila, Mexico. And that's, that little town only had uh, streets numbered. One, calle dos, dos, calle tres, calle cuatro, calle cinco. Didn't even have enough to name the streets. And he'd go up and down these streets delivering milk. And we'd go with this little buggy. Um, he was so poor at the, then, he didn't even have uh, money to afford a horse. He had a burro, right? So he had this really cool burro that would take him around up and down the streets, and he'd go, chuk, chuk, leche, and he'd drop off the milk. And at one of these houses, when he knocks, he opens his door, and this beautiful lady standing there. And he's like, blah, 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 uh, uh, leche, and he drops off the milk. And she just kind of sah, slams the door and goes back in. And he comes back out, and he goes to his burro. Now, think about it. He's talking to a burro. Burro. We need to think about this. This is what corporate America does in corporate strategies and brainstorming. Yeah. He looks at his burro, burro, I love this girl. I mean, my heart is pounding. Ta bien chula. I really, really want to get to know her. I want her to love me. I think this is it. She's the one. How are we going to get her to like me? The burro gives him an idea. You see, in the old times, they used to deliver milk in these glass containers. These are old, old times. And they would leave them up at the door. What Homer used to do is he would deliver milk, but he'd add half water and half milk to make it, you know, que le rinda, so you can make more money off of that. I think he invented skim milk, I don't know. <laughs> but he decided this time he was going to fill it up with pure creamy milk. And he leaves the milk on the door and he knocks, 
Choco, I'm here. And she's like, opens the door, and then he noticed by then she'd put on some lipstick and kind of combed her hair. He says, listen to me. I, I think I'm in love with you. I want to marry you. No, no, listen to me. There's a place across the border. It's the United States of America. And I know if I work hard, I can build a, a dream for us. We can build a family together. And she's like, mm, can I bring my brothers and sisters? How many? 18? No, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> he says, just give me six months. So he takes off and he lands in the Crystal City. And he spoke no English but four words. No English. He gets to Crystal City, and he sees everybody's picking something and doing something. And this guy says, well, what we're doing here is picking spinach. Do you know how to do that? He knew four words. And he says, I can do it. To work. And his pocket's getting full. And he's thinking, oh, Choquito, I can't wait to get back to you. Work finishes and travels west, and he ends up in this little town in New Mexico where they're starting to build the railroad. And they tell him, well, we're building this very sophisticated railroad. These tracks are going north and south, east and west. They can never intersect. Can you do that? And Homer says, I can do it. <laughs> never had done that before, but he starts to work and works hard, and his pocket's getting full. Work finishes. And he has to travel further west, and he ends up in California at a restaurant. And they say to him, well, we're looking for someone to work in the kitchen, maybe wash some dishes. Can you do that? And he says, I can do it. And by then, his pocket is getting full, and he's getting so excited. And they tell him, hey, do you know how to make pancakes? And he says, panque? No, not panque, pancakes. Oh, okay, well, let me learn anything so I can make more money. And he finally makes enough money, and he travels back, and he goes to that door, the Choquito. Choquito, I'm back. And she's like, who's this guy now? No, no, listen to me. Listen, I found a place. I found a place where we can start a family and a life together. Please come with me, marry me. So they marry, and they travel to California, and... They start their family, and they realize very quickly they're alone, except for they found their church. And it was their church that sustained them, that guided them, that builded community with them. And they have their first daughter, and Choco holds her first daughter and says, Ah, hija, ¿cómo le voy a hacer, hija? Yo que no hablo el idioma, Yo que no voy a poder comunicarme con las maestras, pero hija, te quiero. Y con el favor de Dios, te sacamos adelante. She says to her, I love you, my dear daughter, but I don't speak the language. I won't be able to commute with your teachers. But with God's favor, we will build a family. You see, today I stand before you as a daughter of immigrant, migrant parents, and I thank the Lord that they followed his love and his message to build our family to what it is today. And over the years, I struggled understanding how my own faith 
and love for Jesus shows up. And I had this gnawing feeling in my gut. It was like, and it wouldn't stop. How do I do this? How do I live Jesus out in my work, my life, and my relationships? I had no idea. I really felt like something was missing. Jesus, help me understand this. And the stomach is churning and churning. And I was drinking a lot at that time. Pepto-Bismol, that is. And then I came to know him in a way I had never experienced. I surrendered myself. And I have come to grow in my in my faith and in my confidence in him. I no longer need Pepto-Bismol. I got Jesus. So let's try to understand this idea of humility. Andrew Murray talks about humility in this way. Humility is a perfect quietness of the heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to be at rest when nobody praises me, nor when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret, and I am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above are troubled. I think that Murray was trying to say that In a relationship with Jesus, you find your identity, and you don't need anybody else to tell you how great you are. You know you are great because you are the daughter of the son of the greatest king. You don't need anything else. So I read in my Bible around this idea of humbling myself, and I read in Philippians, in your relationship with one another, I have have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't consider himself God, although had every right, but he humbled himself. This is just so powerful to me, and to think that he became one of us incarnate. I reflect on how this humility shows up in the Bible, and I'm also reminded of the story um, if you recall when Jesus was traveling with his disciples and he got word from that Lazarus was dead. He traveled to Bethany where he met Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And as he was arriving to the village, he came to Martha. And Martha said, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. And Jesus replies to her, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes will have everlasting life. Now, he could have just said, watch. Just watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to perform the greatest miracle. It's going to be so awesome. You're going to be so impressed. But he didn't say that. He continued into the village, and he met Mary. And when he met Mary, 
Mary was crying, she was wailing, she was distraught about her brother. Along with this community, Jesus didn't say, stop crying, it's gonna be okay. Just watch what I'm about to do. But rather, what did Jesus do at that moment when Mary was crying? Jesus wept. Jesus wept with Mary. He was present, he showed compassion, and he humbled himself to her. To me, the idea that someone like he could not boast but humble himself really shows us this idea of how we want to serve our community in our tribes and our everyday work. We really want to think about a mutual relationship like Jesus was with Mary. He not only talked, but he took in her pain. So let's talk about this idea of cultural humility. So maybe people in the education and health field have heard of the term cultural awareness, cultural competence. I want to talk about this idea of cultural humility. Cultural humility requires that there is an interaction in a two-way, very much like the cross. If you think about the cross, we're in relationship with Jesus, but we're also in relationship with each other. It's understanding more about someone's culture, more than what's on, on the surface, to surrender ourselves all the preconceived ideas of the people we're engaging in relationship with, and really surrendering to learn from them. As a matter of fact, Jesus asked way more questions than answers when he was in relationship. So I often work with school teachers, um, and it's really interesting because I walk into their classrooms and they say to me, oh, Miss, Miss Gonzalez, um, you're gonna be really proud of us. We're doing a celebrating Cinco de Mayo or the Asisese de Septiembre. And we have, look, we have these Mexican hats and we have a sarape and it's Taco Tuesday. Yay, Mexicans. And I always think like, yeah, but we're more than that. Those are some things of us, but we're far deeper than that. Enter in a relationship with us to understand us. Or that same teacher will say, you know, I sent a note home for parent-teacher parent meeting, and I said, please send one parent so I can have a meeting. And guess what? Everybody shows up. The other parent, que la tía, que los primos, and the cousins, and the abuelas, everybody comes to the meeting. I could just hear abuela, yes, let's all go. Let's go listen to how mijo's doing, right? Because we do things collectively. That's what our uh, culture does. This lack of humility also shows up um, when we think of ourselves as this idea that's called the savior posture. I am a reformed savior. Because I used to think that I could save people. I used to wear this lovely cape, and I had great boots and shoes that I would go off to save people. Because I felt like they needed me to tell them what to do, how to change their lives. My thoughts were brilliant. Didn't they get that? And it often shows up in many ways. So I remember one time visiting the Rio Grande Valley and someone had taken me to go visit La Señora Gomez. And as I drove up to Señora Gomez's house, she lived in a camper. Not a mobile home, a camper. 
can you hitch to the back of your car? That kind of camper. And I walk into her home, and I think, hmm, I better call so-and-so, we need to fix this. I better call so-and-so, we need to fix this. Oh, we gotta I gotta call, I gotta call. She needs my help, I've gotta help her. And I walk inside, and inside I find that she has a little hot plate, and she's got a little ice chest, and the next room is a bedroom, where she has a big bed, no other bedrooms. And I said, where do the other children sleep? Oh, we all sleep together. Remember that collective idea? We want to be together everywhere. They're all together sleeping. And I said, y senora, where is your um, restroom? Come here. So she comes out and takes me outside. We step down the camper. And what I notice in the back is that she's got this beautiful, tall basketball hoop. Around the hoop, she's tied a curtain. And from three houses down, she's got this long hose all the way over into the hoop to make a shower. Oh, man, I got to call the city water. I got to call some plumbers. I got to get this fixed. I got to get this fixed. I got to save these people. Y senora, when you have to use the restroom, where do you go? And she pulls out of her pocket a shovel. And she says, out there in the field. I better call sanitation, I got a call. And so I am so worried about this woman and I go back inside and she offers me Kool-Aid, orange. And I sit with her and she tells me, yes, I have uh, three children, two in school and they just made honor roll. I'm like, wow, honor roll. Yes, and my husband just got a raise at his job at the construction site. Did you see the things that we're building? He's over there, he's working over there, and he's working hard for us. Enough that we just bought a casita. And I'm like, wow, they bought a casita. Yes, we bought a casita, and we're going to move over there, and it has two bedrooms, miss, two bedrooms. I said, that's awesome. I bet you're going to put all the kids in one room, and you and your husband will have the other room. Oh, no, we'll still sleep here. And I'm just you know, really worried about this. And then all of a sudden, she pulls up her Bible. She says, Senora, don't be sad for us. We're happy. You see that other room? I'm going to make it a library. This Bible is what they will read. This is what they will sit. Because when I have Jesus, I need nothing more. You know, I step out, and I think to myself, boy, what was I thinking? What was I thinking that I was coming to be a savior to save them? I literally walked out feeling more inspired and had learned more than I think I ever gave her. My job, I thought, was to save her, but then I remembered there's only one savior. You see, sometimes we think because people are different, they live differently, they're not of value. Uh, some time back, I heard this, um, this, this church came to invite me to ask if I could connect them with another church in the barrio, in the barrio, as he said. And he said, we really want to go help those poor, poor people over there. We're going to teach them everything we know, and they're going to be doing so much better. You know, and then my head is spinning because I'm thinking, what are you saying? And my head is spinning, and after it stops spinning, I said, amigo, 
and I bite my lip. I want you to know that the families and the communities you're going to serve feed their children six to eight kids on a thousand dollars. Talk about budget and financing. You're going to learn something from them. See, if you go into a relationship, you get to know more about someone else. And the last way this humility shows up is in this idea of, is it me focused or is it God focused? So think about when we do our work. Are we doing our work because I'm going to get um, known for doing all this charity or everybody's going to say, you're so kind, you gave up your weekends to do all, you're just so lovely, or is it really because we love the Lord? Is it initiated by our love of the Lord? Matthew tells us, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from the Lord. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what you've done, will reward you. So how do we enter into this me-focused or God-focused work? Well, the first thing I ask, is my heart in it for the right reason? Is it truly because I love the Lord so much that I want to, in that posture, love his community and his children? Or is it because I think I can get a great selfie, right? And here's me with all this great lipstick. I look all cute and I'm feeding or crawling, and there I am. Or is that image on social media about the cause and the plight of the community I'm working for? I try very hard to live and work in humility every day as Christ did for us, and I don't get it right every time. And actually, I don't get it right most times. But I go back to my Bible and I immerse myself in the stories of his life and I humble myself to him. I surrender myself to him. Posturing ourselves in humility, surrendering our egos, we can learn from others and together really have an impact in our community. Take off our savior caps, listen to one another, be present for each other. So when we go to serve our ministries, either under the bridge, feeding the hungry, or headed to foreign countries, we will be in relationship. I leave you with this final prayer. As we begin to do our work in our ministries and our communities, let your passion be clarified, your path identified, your humility magnified, and your resources quantified. And once that is done, your neighbors will be mystified. San Antonio will be electrified. Haters will be horrified. Problems will be nullified. Joy will be intensified. Love will be optimized. 
message, messages will be amplified. God will be glorified. And the heavens will be satisfied. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.